The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, I'm Darren Fonda, crypto and finance editor for Barron's. Welcome to Barron's Live, managing your money. Today, we have Matt McLennan, co-head of Global Value and a portfolio manager at First Eagle Investments. Matt has been at First Eagle since 2008, uh, helping to oversee more than $90 billion in assets. Before First Eagle, he worked at Goldman Sachs Asset Management, where he ran a global equity portfolio for private clients. Matt grew up in Australia, earning a bachelor's in commerce and master's degree in law at the University of Queensland, and he's also a CFA charter holder. So we're here to talk about one of Matt's favorite investment ideas, which is gold. And we're also going to talk about Bitcoin, uh, which is increasingly challenging gold for investment dollars. First Eagle is a major investor in gold. The firm holds more than $10 billion of it, mostly in bullion, but also with some investments in mining stocks. And Bitcoin is a key area of focus for the firm because it could be disruptive or complementary to gold investments worldwide. So let's dive in. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much, Darren. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. So uh, gold and Bitcoin have a kind of uneasy relationship. Uh, they're not exactly friends, uh, if you could sort of call it that. Gold has been around for thousands of years. Uh, it's been used uh, for jewelry, for commerce. Uh, it's uh, got physical properties. About 197,000 tons of it have been mined. Uh, supply increases at a very gradual and predictive rate at around 2,500 tons annually. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is a very new asset class. It's been around for about 13 years. It also has a fixed supply of 21 million coins with about 19 million that have already been produced. Um, the rate of increase in supply is also fixed. Um, it uh, increases at about 6.25 coins every 10 minutes. Uh, which will go down to 3.125 coins in 2024 in a predicted halving event for Bitcoin. So these fixed supplies make Bitcoin and gold appealing as stores of value, uh, especially due to concerns that inflation could pick up and we could see uh, traditional sovereign currencies depreciated due to central bank policies and increasing money supplies. So the question really is, I think for investors, if you're worried about inflation, if you're worried about an increase in money supply, which asset should you own, Bitcoin or gold? What do you think, Matt? Well, um, that's not an easy question uh, <laughs> out of the gates. I, you know, I, I would say that the design of Bitcoin, as as you quite rightly alluded to, uh, incorporates you know some of the features of gold, notably that the rate of increase in the incremental supply of Bitcoin um, is very low relative to the outstanding supply of Bitcoin. And um, it's become increasingly expensive uh, to mine Bitcoin, which you know contributes to the notion of the store of value. And I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I would also make the point that, um, you know, Bit Bitcoin uh, benefits from uh, incumbency in the digital space. It is by order of magnitude uh, the largest dedicated, um, albeit distributed network of sort of computing power uh, for any application. 
and um, that contributes to its, you know, its relative security, and it, it makes it more difficult for competing uh, digital stores of value um, to actually compete because they can't attract the same compute power. They're offered, therefore, offer the same security. So, let me start out by saying that, um, you know, Bitcoin exists, uh, and you know, it's hard to deny that. Uh, it's not a, a fictional uh, notion per se. Um, gold also exists, as you said, it's been around for thousands of years. We know for sure that gold will exist. Um, it's a physical uh, and inert substance. Um, Bitcoin may exist. And so, you know, if, if you had to um, force a single choice, I, I think you would say that if, if you wanted a potential store of value um, to uh, protect you against the upward drift in money supply, um, and you had a lower tolerance for risk, um, you would probably opt for what you know will exist. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, being forced to choose, I, I think that, um, you know, gold has some merits that uh, are hard to be uh, fully displaced. Um, and, and, you know, I, let me sort of stop there for a second, because I think it, it sort of warrants a little bit more nuanced discussion about how to think about the value of Bitcoin in that context. Yeah, so I think it's, I think it's challenging um, conceptually to accept the idea that uh, an asset that was invented 13 years ago and lives only in a digital format um, could have as much staying power as an asset that has survived um, as a store of value and as a medium of exchange and a currency for 6,000 years. And, and maybe this is just old-fashioned thinking on my part, but um, I do think that the technological challenges of Bitcoin, uh, or at least the technological uncertainty, as you pointed out, around the mining of Bitcoin is one um, reason that gold may have an advantage if you are extremely or worried that at some point another technology could displace it or another crypto could come along and displace it as a store of value. So maybe that's one uh, mark in favor of gold over Bitcoin. Um, I, I think that it's worth just discussing the premise a little bit, though, that gold itself is a good hedge against inflation, because th that is the argument um, that is traditionally made for holding gold as long as it's also a, a less volatile asset than, than equities um, and it can help preserve value in times of crisis. But if you look at gold's price history, um, a lot of its uh, increase in price took place in the 1970s when inflation was soaring. Uh, and then it took about 25 years to get back to its previous 1980 peak. Um, and by some measures, it's not even back to that peak yet in inflation adjusted terms. So, you know, can, can we just discuss for a minute whether gold really does preserve one's purchasing power in an inflationary environment? Well, I, I think, you know, sometimes uh, people confuse uh, inflation protection with the notion that something is going to operate almost like a derivative, if you will, and protect you one for one in any given moment. And that's probably the wrong way to think about the kind of inflation protection that gold offers. And I think it's better to think about it um, as protection across time. Um, you know, you, you know, for example, if you had supply constrained land um, that 
you know, over time, as money supply increases, the equilibrium price for that land um, is going to go up because the ratio of money supply relative to square footage um, is going up. And the same can be said for gold. And, you know, oh, and I, I think the best way to think about the long-term uh, hedge value of gold is to um, look at, say, the history of money supply growth uh, since gold, be, you know, began its sort of window of being freely traded with the breakdown of the Bretton Woods Agreement in the early 1970s. And since then, money supply has compounded out. Um, and, you know, I'll use M2 here uh, as a measure of money supply at about 6% annualized. Um, gold has compounded out north of 8% uh, during that period. And so over the long term, the equilibrium price of gold has handily kept pace uh, with the money supply growth. But in any given year, it may not. Um, the other thing that you'll observe about the behavior of gold is that because it is a, a form of uh, private money, if you will, it's not a state-backed money, um, the equilibrium price of gold is sort of a second-order function of the quality of um, state-based money. And so what we've seen over those last 50 years is that the price of gold tends to move up when uh, fiscal deficits are wide and um, equilibrium real interest rates are low or negative. Um, in other words, when the quality of man-made money is weak, the price of gold tends to be higher. Um, and, and so, you know, what happens in any short-term period is going to be a function of what markets think uh, about um, the quality of man-made money. And so um, when inflation sets in, uh, bond market particip participants are going to be pricing what they think is the Federal Reserve's likely reaction function to that and so they may be pricing um, the expectation of interest rates moving up uh, uh, and maybe moving up relative to inflation, therefore real interest rates moving up. So if markets believe in the credibility of the Fed, the price of gold can actually moderate. Um, and, and so that's what complicates the shorter term comparisons. Um, having said all of that, uh, I think if you if you look at the ratio of gold to money supply, you know, over the last 50 years, um, it's by no means extended relative to history. And in fact, the price of gold derated um, from its its 2020 peak ahead of the sell-off in the bond market. Um, and if you look at the price of gold relative to M2 or the price of gold relative to, say, equities, um, it's retraced basically to where it was at the peak of the last couple of tightening cycles in um, you know, Q3 of 2018 or Q2 of 2007. So, the reason gold has sort of traded off a little bit here is it's pricing some tightening of policy. Now, gold is a perpetual asset, uh, whereas the, the bond market is pricing things looking at two, three, four years. Um, so people who buy or, or sell gold have to be mindful of, of what comes next after this round of tightening. And um, I think the reason gold has been resilient uh, in the recent um, couple of months, despite the step up in interest rates, is that um, there's a serious a test of the Federal Reserve's credibility ahead of us. Uh, you know, we, we saw wage inflation of around 6% in, in the last uh, labor market reports last week. And um, if the Fed uh, is unable to catch up uh, to the pace of inflation and, and to, to moderate it at a normal clip, then you could see a scenario emerge like the 1970s, um, which was a very good one uh, for the gold price because people lost faith in the quality 
of man-made money during that decade. And so what's going to matter is how the Fed uh, behaves relative to um, existing expectations. Yeah, I mean, th those are great points. So what we're seeing in the markets now, I think, is that gold is kind of holding up, but it's not going up a lot, um, as some people, I think, might expect in a cycle where the Fed is just now going to start embarking on um, a cycle of increasing rates and tightening um, the money supply or tightening liquidity. Uh, and I think that's been a bit disappointing for gold investors, because if there's a perception out there that, uh, hey, inflation is really going to get out of control or it's going to hit eight to 10 percent uh, and the Fed is going to have to raise rates very, very fast. This should be ideal for gold, um, but it hasn't really reacted um, that way in the market. And with with Bitcoin, um, I think the other interesting dynamic going on now is that if Bitcoin is supposed to be a store of value and hedge against inflation, it should also be doing phenomenally well in this climate of concern about inflation. And yet Bitcoin, um, it's rallied a little bit lately. It's around 43,000, but it's well below its peaks last November of 69,000. And it has been trading very, very highly correlated to equities, particularly tech stocks. And I think there's a, you know, a growing realization that Bitcoin is acting more like a risk asset uh, and less like a store of value uh, with extreme volatility that most people would say, if I'm going to have a store of value, I don't, how can I have a store of value where the, the asset in question is jumping around all over the place, losing 20, 30%. Uh, you know, within a matter of months, if I happen to buy it at the top, it could take forever for me to get back to, you know, my my cost basis. So I think both of these assets are not necessarily behaving in a way that investors might expect, or at least that the story behind them has indicated they would. So you know, I think just touching on gold first, uh, I think the reason that gold has been relatively range bound is not that not just that it's um, had to reflect a step up in real interest rates here uh, in terms of the bond market's expectations. But it, it, it's also a reflection of the fact that um, financial markets still view uh, the Fed as being credible. Um, and I think that's best seen in um, the long-term inflation swaps market. If you look at the five-year forward, five-year expected inflation rates, they're well anchored at around two and a half percent. And equity markets are still gravitating at close to generational peaks in terms of the valuation of equities relative to um, the demonstrated trailing earnings power of the equity market. And so um, there hasn't yet been a moment where confidence has come into question in a, in a more systemic way. And I think that explains why gold has been relatively rage bound. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't face that risk. You know, one, as Warren Buffett said, you have to differentiate between experience and exposure. And I think there is an acute test of policy credibility ahead of us in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, as it would relate to Bitcoin, I think that to, to understand how Bitcoin behaves, if you go back to the opening discussion uh, today uh, about the fact that Bitcoin um, uh, exists and it may exist, um, I think Bitcoin's better thought of not as being digital gold per se, but as being the leading contender or as a as the leading option on being a digital form of hard money. And it trades like an option. 
Um, if you look at the market cap of Bitcoin, you know, if you take the outstanding um, stock of Bitcoin and multiply by the price, uh, it trades like an option relative to gold. It trades at a discount to the market cap of the private uh, hoards of gold. If you exclude um, jewelry and you exclude central bank holdings, um, you know, Bitcoin trades at a fractional percent uh, of the value of private stores of gold. Um, like an option, uh, it trades with a great deal more volatility than the underlier. Uh, and so, um, you know, when you think about options, you, you also have to take account of the fact that an option you know, could expire worthless. Uh, you know, and you, you referenced before uh, some of the things that could be um, structural uh, question marks um, that Bitcoin, uh, you know, will have to um, uh, survive, if you will, in order for the option value to be realized. Um, and I think the reason that Bitcoin has traded a little bit like a tech stock is that its current price doesn't necessarily reflect the current level of adoption of Bitcoin. It reflects uh, market participants' expectations of future adoption. And so there's an element of discounting that's going on um, in the price of Bitcoin. Um, you, you know, you can understand uh, you know, why it um, may not trade at a market cap as large as gold today, uh, given the early stage of its evolution, but it has gone up in value quite a bit over the last few years as people have been more comfortable uh, with its in incumbency. Um, and to the extent that it incorporates expectations about the future, it should be sensitive uh, to the cost of capital out there in the world. And I think what we saw last year um, in the beginning of 2020 was arguably a generational low in the cost of capital. We had not only low treasury yields, but low credit spreads and low risk premium in equity markets. That was also the environment where go-go uh, growth stocks uh, were at their peak valuations. What's happened now as inflation has become a concern in markets and the, the Fed has taken a more uh, hawkish pivot is that the cost of capital has started to move up and I think the longest duration growth stories have been negatively elastic to that. We've seen some of the concept stocks go down a lot and we've seen Bitcoin um, impacted. But I think you know, in order to understand how Bitcoin's uh, trading, you have to sort of see it as um, having option value and uh, trying to price expected adoption. All of those things make it sensitive to the cost of capital environment. Yeah, those are all great points. Um, I'd like to, like to remind the audience to please go ahead and submit some questions um, and uh, we will take a few in a few minutes. Uh, you know, there is a ton of uncertainty about the future of, around Bitcoin, uh, you know, not just about the technology, but about its actual use case. And we've seen countries, notably El Salvador, um, make it an official currency. Millions of people in El Salvador have downloaded Bitcoin onto digital wallets, um, but there's a lot of pushback against that. Uh, you know, the IMF um, has pretty harshly uh, criticized El Salvador, uh, saying that the adoption of Bitcoin um, is destabilizing the country's finances uh, and urging the country to reconsider. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of countries that are also pushing back against Bitcoin and crypto in general. Um, because of concerns that uh, these new private forms of money uh, will undermine their monetary policies and their capital uh, controls in some areas. Uh, China is developing a, a central bank digital currency or CBDC uh, far more than other countries, which are also doing the same thing. 
there's going to be a lot more competition, I think, to Bitcoin as a digital currency in the future. And this this does raise a lot of questions about what is it good for? Um, you won't, most people will not use it today as a medium of exchange, as an actual transaction currency because of its high volatility. Um, they are using stable coins and other coins that are acting more like substitute for um, hard currencies like the dollar. So if it's not, at least today, uh, useful as a medium of exchange, one can ask, what is it useful for? Well, maybe it is useful as some kind of a store of value as a digital asset. Maybe it will continue to be used as a currency in new digital ecosystems. But in that arena, it also faces competition. And I think you're right. A lot of these questions are unanswered um, and they go into uh, the volatility of, of Bitcoin uh, and also raise a lot of questions about what is going to support its price in the future. Um, so let's. Um, do you have any thoughts on on, on, the, on these questions and things that I, I've raised? And no, these are comments? great great issues that you've raised. Um, you know, I look I, when when I speak to the people whom I respect that are um, most constructive on Bitcoin, um, they they would view the price volatility as um, a, a, as a reflection of price discovery. And you know, if you go back to my comments about uh, Bitcoin being an option, being the leading option uh, on uh, being a digital hard asset, um, you know, the the folks who are most comfortable with it, um, it believe that because its value today, um, its market value is is discounted relative to say gold, and certainly relative to the stock of treasuries and 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 other sovereign debt. Uh, globally, that um, if Bitcoin survives these challenges and the option value becomes uh, more in the money, if you will, um, then it ought to have superior returns to the substitutes that it trades at a discount to. And so they're, they're, they're making the bet that it does survive these challenges because it has survived these challenges um, and, and that they will be compensated for this risk uh, long term. Now, um, you know, when you sort of think about uh, some of the, the issues that you raised, uh, you know, in some ways, um, making an investment in Bitcoin is a little bit of a, a bet against the, the Chinese Communist Party, which, is, as you pointed out, um, uh, does not want necessarily uh, private money to compete with its own uh, central bank digital currency. But I, I, I would make the simple observation that the central bank digital currencies that are being discussed today are very different from either gold uh, or Bitcoin. Um, the beauty of gold and Bitcoin is their relative supply fixity. Um, central bank digital currencies are going to link to a money supply that's growing mid to high single digits. And, and in, if anything, um, the existence of central bank digital currencies will make it easier for central banks to implement things like household QE. You could simply um, you know, create balances uh, in um, citizens' accounts to expand the money supply rather than current forms of QE that in entail the purchase of securities. Um, and so I, I think ironically, if central bank digital currencies come into being, that may increase the allure of private money, uh, such as gold uh, or Bitcoin, uh, because it makes it easier for the states uh, to expand their money supply without friction. Uh, and, 
you know, I think there's there's been a, um, a over centuries we've seen that there's an a, a, there's a at, at the heart of um, state-sponsored fiat currencies there's an agency issue. It's easier to create money than it is to tighten money supply, uh, and I, I think that if you if central bank digital currencies um, make it easier uh, to do things like household QE uh, or to target uh, negative uh, interest rates, uh, then we may see a higher probability of those things happening and therefore the quality of state-sponsored money going down relative to harder forms of um, private money such as gold and Bitcoin. So these, these questions are very complex um, and, and I think, you know, exist within the context of a very complex nonlinear system of state actors um, di different substitute securities, hard assets, et cetera, um, which, which make it impossible to call uh, with precision what will happen. But I think some things could be surprising, uh, such as central bank digital currencies um, leading to a uh, potential increase in the demand for private money. That's a, that's a really interesting take because they're often viewed as binary outcomes that one takes away from the other. But uh, I think that's a great point that they could actually coexist and maybe central banks will be a little bit less worried about, um, you know, competing private digital assets, uh, you know, influencing how they uh, control their money supplies and monetary policies if they have a viable CBDC out there. Um, okay, let's take a few questions. So Edwin um, writes, uh, Jim Rogers has said that gold usually tracks 50% down from its previous high before taking off again. What is that all about? He also says gold is about carrying costs and storage and inverse to the dollar with interest rates rising. It would appear to go against each of these points. Do you have some thoughts on those questions? Uh, yes. And, 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 and maybe after this question, we can come back to the issue that you raised about the complementarity uh, between different assets, because I think there's some interesting ways to think about the complementarity between gold uh, and, and, and Bitcoin. Um, but just addressing the, the, the questions of Edwin, um, you know, if, if, if you look over the last 50 years or so um, of the financial market history, um, you know, we have seen uh, drawdowns in the price of gold uh, that are resonant with you know, uh, what everyone was saying as he was quoting Jim Rogers. Um, and, 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 and incidentally, I'll point out that Jim Rogers uh, worked at uh, First Eagle many, many years ago. Um, um, I, I think that the, the drawdowns were typically coincident with moments of real discipline in monetary policy. So the biggest drawdown came after the wave of stagflation uh, in the late 70s and early 80s when Paul Volcker came to the helm. And you know he had the explicit objective of defending the dollar, um, pushing real interest rates into um, you know, quite substantially positive territory and, and crushing uh, inflation. Now, it's a very different policy backdrop than what we see today. What, what we saw uh, when gold peaked in 2011 is it had a drawdown of closer to 40 percent, uh, which was still pretty meaningful uh, as the economies of the world recovered and, and um, real interest rate uh, expectations moved up into the tightening cycle, um, you know, b b before this most recent recession. And um, where we are today, though, is, is quite different because real interest rates have not gone up. The Fed is talking about tightening, 
Um, but the bond market's only pricing about 200 basis points of tightening. Yet, if I look at wage inflation running at around 6%, it's quite possible, you know, we could have mid single digit inflation for a period of time. And so we're still talking about real interest rates that are quite negative. And um, that's, that's very different from the kinds of tightening cycles that have been most um, hurtful to gold in the past. Now, for the Fed um, to get real interest rates into positive territory, it would have to tight, you know, raise interest rates to you know, six, seven, eight percent. And that just doesn't feel plausible right now because we have a higher level of debt in the economy than we had before COVID. And the last cycle, it only took two and a half percent interest rates to lead to um, problems in, in financial market liquidity uh, and, and a slowdown in the economy. And so I think what the bond market's telling us is that the Fed wants to raise interest rates, but it may not be able to raise interest rates because of the level of debt in the economy. If we get um, a recession before the Fed can get interest rates back to positive real terms, then you know that actually highlights a real systemic weakness for the US uh, economy and, and could end up being uh, quite constructive for gold over the medium term. Uh, I, I think what, what takes gold down though in the short term is windows of policy credibility you know if if the market starts to think the fed will be more hawkish and the economy can stand it then the dollar could be strong and real interest rates could move up and gold could be weak but right now what markets are pricing is not suggesting that real interest rates get positive anytime soon okay so we only have a couple of minutes left um and that brings me really to my last question uh, and i know you're going to love this what is your outlook for gold price uh, over the next 12 months? And what is your outlook for Bitcoin? <laughs> um, the crystal ball is, is foggy at best. I, I have frankly no idea uh, where um, gold or Bitcoin uh, will trade in 12 months from now because it depends upon things that are unknowable. You know, does Russia invade the Ukraine? What about China and Taiwan? Uh, will the Fed be able to get real interest rates into positive space uh, or will we enter into a stagflationary window of slowing growth and persistent inflation? Um, these are all unknowables. The reason we own gold is we own it as a potential hedge against those tail scenarios because we are primarily uh, owners of equity. And let me just sort of say that um, when you think about Bitcoin versus gold, they don't have to be binary, as you suggested before, of one versus the other. Uh, they can be complementary. Uh, you know, ultimately, you know, ovens and microwaves coexist. And, and I was speaking to Tom Kaplan, the chairman uh, of Nova Gold recently, and he's like, you know, he made a similar analogy about the coexistence of uh, old master's art and contemporary art. Now, it happens to be that the most valuable uh, piece of art ever sold was an old master, uh, the Da Vinci. Um, but uh, that doesn't take away from the fact that there can be a very vibrant contemporary art scene. And so I think what we're seeing in Bitcoin um, is an interesting uh, uh, new uh, digital asset that's being created. Uh, it is the leading option on being digital hard money. If it succeeds in enduring through all of these challenges we've talked about, it could offer very attractive returns. And so one can see the argument to be made of owning a small amount as a, a potential hedge against it succeeding. But symmetrically, were I a bull on Bitcoin, I'd certainly want to own some gold uh, as a potential hedge against um, Bitcoin not succeeding. And so I think these things can exist in a complementary way. And I think the very fact that we can't predict where they will be in 12 months 
is exactly why we hold them, uh, uh, well, gold at least, and um, you know, for its potential hedge value against the things that we own most of, which are businesses. Yeah, that, that's a great way of thinking of it. That they're, they're, they don't have to crowd each other out and maybe they can coexist in a portfolio. Um, I, I think a lot of uh, advisors uh, and portfolio managers are now looking to add a little bit of Bitcoin um, uh, to deal with tail risk, um, but also as a way of capturing some of the future for digital assets. And some of them also obviously recommend holding a little bit of gold um, to uh, hedge against tail risk and uh, extreme inflation in the economy um, and uh, potentially uh, fiat currencies losing some value as well. Matt, thank you so much uh, for spending this time with us today. This has been a great conversation. Uh, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. Uh, we hope you'll listen to our next episode tomorrow. Market Watch's retirement reporter, Alessandro Malito, will be speaking with Eric Roberge, Eric Roberge, financial planner and founder of Beyond Your Hammock, as they discuss debt management for retirees, as well as how to plan for your debt when entering retirement uh, and what debt may not be so bad after all. That's all we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Be well and stay safe. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.